what a great place uh, this chapel is just so special uh, so glad that you're here with us to see the lights and the reflections and the shadows and the trees around us and thank you all who are joining online as well to, to see all these things um, so we know that the last several weeks Catherine and Steve have been out on renewal leave they'll be back next week and so we'll be back to regular programming. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. So Marissa will be back at this in this location on a regular basis again. And I just really appreciate the opportunity that you all have welcomed me to, to come in two or three times to, to be a part of that. Uh, I know she's not here right now, but I just when you see Marissa, make sure you tell her thank you. She has done the job of three pastors over the last seven weeks while doing everything else that she does in her life. And so she has done a tremendous job. Uh, and uh, not that we didn't miss Catherine Steve, but we were okay. Uh, Catherine, you know, Marissa did great, great for us. Um, we've also mentioned a little before, so this week is the Florida United Methodist Annual Conference down in Lakeland. And so we just sent a busload that direction. I will be catching up with them uh, tomorrow. Um, like I told David before service, two or three weeks ago, it sounded like a really great idea to wait to leave until Thursday morning. Uh, and then I remembered how far Lakeland was from here. So I'm going to have to get up uh, back on the farm o'clock back in the old days to get down to, to Lakeland on time. But uh, it would be my first annual conference. Um, and those of you like myself who did not grow up in the United Methodist Church may, may or may not know this, but one of the things that really attracts me and it excites me about this particular denomination and this particular uh, family of faith is that the annual conference is made up of delegates from each church. It's an equal number of clergy and laity, each church sent forward. And so that really shows the dedication and the foundation of the United Methodist Church is that we are all called to serve the church, whether we are clergy or laity, and we are all called to serve that purpose alongside one, each other to make that happen. And this will tie into our, to our conversation about holiness. This is not something just that, that the clergy have or that the certain will. We all are called to be part of this larger conversation. And so one last special shout out to somebody who's not here, but that is to, to Michael Blanks. Um, I hope uh, he's our director of adult ministries. And if you haven't seen or were part of his sermon this past Sunday, I really encourage you to take the time to go onto our YouTube channel, Facebook too, like just YouTube, Facebook to go back and, and find that. Man, he brought the word on Sunday. Uh, we were not able to be in the in this, in this sanctuary. I was watching on my computer and I was yelling amen at my computer uh, as we watched those things. And I appreciate Michael so much. I am blessed to call him my brother in Christ and my friend. And as a warning, Mike, you watch, I am going to be your shadow this week at annual conference. He, unfortunately, said that he would be my guide since this is my first time. So I'm going to be in his hip pocket all weekend long. But for those of you who did experience Mike's sermon, you may have recalled that he mentioned that the short scripture passages that are the focus of a sermon, he called them some word. I should have asked David, you may know this. They learned this is like a $10 seminary that he called these particular things. I don't remember what it was, but I want to make sure that you don't panic when you see in the, the bulletin that there are six scripture passages listed for tonight. 
Uh, you don't worry, there are, you are not going to get a full sermon on each scripture passage. Um, you, you do not want that in, uh, to go over there. But tonight, what I want to do is look at a theme. Um, as I share with you, oftentimes when I get the opportunity to do this, you all are the victims or beneficiaries of whatever's going on in my head and my study as I go through these things. And I, and I use you all and, and ask you to help me walk through these things. And one thing that, that is important that I think is if we just look at individual passages or verses without ever looking up to see the fuller picture, we can miss threads or themes that weave your way throughout the entire Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we really see that God's Word is one unified story of God's love. And this is one of the things I, I want us to spend a little bit of time tonight doing is just walking through and looking at one of those themes as we can, as we can see this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, and just like that fancy $10 seminary word that Micah shared with us on Sunday, we have several other church words that we throw around sometimes. And I want to focus our time tonight on one of those, and that's holiness. And you're like, well, I'm talking about holiness all the time. But for me, that may be the problem. We talk about holiness all the time and say that word all the time, and I don't probably stop enough to really think, what does holiness mean? How am I called to be holy? How am I called to understand what this is? One resource that I want to share with you that, that I have uh, gained a lot from is called the Bible Project. It's, it's BibleProject.com. Uh, and there's a, a great group there that, that did a lot of uh, Bible study. And I just wanted to give them acknowledgement as I rely a lot on them as I look through and think through this theme of holiness. Now, now to begin, you really can't do a word study uh, without me attempting to slaughter the Greek and, he and Hebrew. And so when we look at holiness, the Hebrew word, if I get this right, is Kodesh. And Greek is Hagos. And what we mean by the holiness is this, is this word that means unique and set apart. So I want you to remember that at the fundamental core, holiness means unique and set apart. When we, we look at the Bible, the first two things we call holy in the Bible is if you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it's the Sabbath day. God sanctifies it and makes it holy by setting it apart. A day of rest from all the work to enjoy the goodness of God's creation. The next thing that we see that is called holy in the Bible is the holy ground around the burning bush of God's presence. So God's presence is so powerful and unique that it makes areas surrounding its presence to be set apart as well. And so that first scripture is Exodus 3, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it here. Moses was taking care of of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, being his priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning up. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called him out of the bush 
Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I am here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the Lord. I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. A couple of things that we start our study and look at this. Remember that God said it was holy ground. Told Moses to take off his sandals. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So in both of these cases, the holiness of these things is honored by treating them with special care. So we're not going to do activities on them that are done elsewhere, on the Sabbath or on this holy ground. So people, places, and things are considered holy because they have a close relationship with God, who is the source of His holiness. And so we talk about holiness being a way of talking about God's character and nature as the most unique, powerful, and good being in all the universe. But God's holiness is so pure that it poses a paradox for humans living in the ruined world of sin. Because what do you know from your own study of the Bible? What would happen for people to go be in the presence of God? They had to be clean, right? To be able to go in to do that. And so his power and purity is the source of all life. But his power and purity becomes dangerous to all humans corrupted by sin. And so this is most seen by the dangerous goodness of God's presence living in Israel's midst in the tabernacle and the temple. So we go from the burning bush to the tabernacle being the example of God's holiness. It's a separated part. The tabernacle was separate from the rest of the, the tribe of Israel. And only holy priests were allowed into God's direct presence in the temple. And even they were in danger if they didn't honor God's holiness. My, my favorite, one of my favorite things to think about in the Bible to read this passage in, in there is the priests had bells on their on their clothing when they would walk into the Holy of Holies. And why did they have those bells to celebrate with? No. Because if the bells stopped ringing, you knew the priest was dead. And they had to pull him back up because he was not prepared to be in the Holy of Holies. And so that's how powerful God's holiness is. So throughout the entire Bible, it was always talking about how you have to prepare yourself to go into the temple, to be in the, in, to, to present yourself to God's holiness. And there was this concern that if you were unclean, you would make something clean unclean as well. But then something interesting happens. Isaiah the prophet had a strange vision where he had, was in the temple where Isaiah didn't belong. And he was in the direct presence of God. So Isaiah 6 says this, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne. The edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him. Each had six wings. With two they veiled their face, and with two their feet, and with two they flew around. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The door frames shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. I said, Mourn for me. I am ruined. I am a man with unclean 
lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. I've seen the King, the Lord of heavenly forces. But then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed. Your sin is removed. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? I said, I am here. Send me. I really encourage you to go back and read Isaiah. It is a really cool story. To go in and see this vision. And what we see here is Isaiah is terrified for his life. Because what, what do you know? He knows he is unclean. He knows he is in the presence of the Lord. And he knows that A and B happen. C is you're dead. But yet he's standing there. But instead of being destroyed, God has this coal, hot, holy coal, come from his presence and applied to Isaiah's lips. I don't know about you, having a hot coal touched my lips does not sound like a good time. But we're going to say it was a good thing here. And this is the first time in the Bible that tells us that instead of the temple becoming contaminated by Isaiah's impurity, the opposite happens. God's holiness transfers to Isaiah and erases his sin and impurity. So instead of an unclean thing making it making something else unclean, the clean thing transferred being clean to something that was unclean. This is completely unexpected, to say the least. And the implications of Isaiah's vision are huge. It tells us that perhaps God doesn't need to be protected by the impure, from the impurity of our sin. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's our sin that is endangered by God's holiness. We don't have to protect God. God can, can bring His holiness to us. Another one of the prophets, and this is in your, uh, this scripture is in your bulletin. Is Ezekiel. Ezekiel's vision contains another important contribution to this theme. In Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 and then 6 through 9 says, When he brought me back to the temple entrance, so Ezekiel's having a very similar vision. I noticed that water was flowing toward the east from under the temple's threshold. The temple faced the east. The water was going out from under the temple's facade toward the south, south of the altar. He said to me, Human one, do you see? Then he led me back to the edge of the river. When I went back, I saw many trees on both banks of the river. He said to me, These waters go out to the eastern region, flow down the steep slopes, and go to the Dead Sea. Where the flowing waters enter the sea, its water becomes fresh. Wherever the river flows, every living thing that moves will thrive. There will be great schools of fish because when these waters enter the sea, it will be fresh. Wherever the river flows, everything lives. You all know the Dead Sea, right? There's a lot of good places for a lot of things hanging out. But water was flowing down to it and made the Dead Sea fresh, brought life. Life flowing from the temple. God's holiness flowing from the temple out into the world. 
So Ezekiel envisions a new temple in a new land with a new covenant people. His vision of the new temple is part of this larger vision of how God will restore his covenant people after their sin and covenant failure. So it's not over. Ezekiel 8 through 11, God's presence leaves the temple after it's defiled by Israel's idolatry and sin. So it even goes out to the world. It's not trapped and not held just in that temple. Now, now this temple that is shown in Ezekiel's dream needs to be honored as a holy space. But at the same time, Ezekiel's vision about the river flowing out of the temple makes it very clear that God's life-giving holiness will one day flow out of the temple into the world, create all kinds of new life. We go on, and when Jesus enters the scene, he announces the arrival, the arrival of God's kingdom. And he seems to identify more towards people who are considered unclean and unfit to enter God's presence in the temple. We look at Jesus' contact with, with the leper in Matthew, the bleeding woman in Matthew chapter 9, and the dead boy in Luke chapter 7. All of these things should have made Jesus unclean. But instead, instead of that unclean coming upon him, his holiness and purity and color transferred to them, causing healing and restoring their bodies. Again, a complete reversal of what the law said how, how that worked. Jesus declared that people were not made impure by anything that they touch or enters them, but rather by the moral corruption and selfishness that comes out of their minds and hearts. Jesus' claim, Jesus claimed that we, that he, that he was the new temple, the place where God's holiness meets people in their sin and uncleanness and offered forgiveness of sins apart from the temple, and said his death was a sacrifice to cover the sin of others. So Jesus established this community of followers as the new temple. So, so after the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, it might be referred to a lot, you know, we're in Pentecost, we're in the season of Pentecost right now, of this holy fire. So not only that is Jesus the temple, but Jesus creates this community of followers that, that they are now the temple. And, and we can see that in the symbolism of the temple to these new people in Acts chapter 2. We, we have images of cloud and fire and glory from Exodus to Leviticus all coming in and being present at that time of the Pentecost. A fire coming down upon the people. The apostles argue that the community of Jesus' people are the new temple. And they are called to be like holy priests. Remember back, we talked about only the priests, only the priests who were holy and clean could come into the temple. Well now. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, verses 9 through 10 tells us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's us. We are a royal priesthood. We, as God's followers, are holy and who serve as his temple. Jesus also uses the image of Ezekiel's temple river to describe any person who trusts him. He, the Spirit
Spirit will make that person a holy source of God's own life that spreads to others. John chapter 7, verse 37 39 says, on, on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, All who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. This flowing out of God's holiness is what we're all called to do. This story of the Bible and the entire story of the Bible concludes with John's vision of a new creation. Where Ezekiel's river is flowing out of God's presence, created a new garden of Eden City where his people are with him forever. We look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water, shining like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Through the middle of the city's main streets, on each side of the river is the tree of life, which produces 12 crops of fruit, bearing its fruit each month. The tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. So on these very last pages of the Bible, end with a final vision of God's holiness. And in His vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. But friends, we are called and understand that we are God's temple. And that's a responsibility that we have to live out and to share God's love with others. And so with that, may our interactions with others be ones that lift up, not tear down. May they be ones that bring others into community, not shut persons out of community. May they be ones that share the love of God that he has for us all. To be that light. To be that flowing living water. And now go and be streams of life in all that you do. Amen.